Welcome to episode three of Upshift, the No Direction Network's Essence 20 podcast, where every two weeks we give you an edge on Essence 20. I'm Ryan Costello, one of the designers of the Essence 20 system and an author on the G.I. Joe Transformers and My Little Pony role-playing game core rulebooks, as well as other products that are soon to be announced and coming up for the Essence 20 role-playing game. Mm-hmm. And I'm Jason Keeley. I am Renegade Games Studios RPG developer. And I'm going to remember to do this right at the top. Even though we both work in some capacity for Renegade, you full-time, mm-hmm. me as a freelancer, this is not affiliated with Renegade. This is just two people that are fans of the system that we work on chatting about the system that we're fans of. That's true. Yes. <laughs> I don't get any any extra uh, in my paycheck for, for doing this. Don't think of it as official. Just think of it as two very informed opinions. That's right. Before we get to our very informed opinions, Jason, I actually picked up a few things this week, which I don't always do. Just a few G.I. Joe related items. All right. And specifically, I got into a new line that I originally rejected outright. Okay. And then as the line has uh, continued, as I've learned more about it, I uh, it kind of whittled away at me. And finally, there was a sale on them. And so I got into Super 7's G.I. Joe reaction line. Okay. So if you look at this, it is a three and three quarter action figure, but it has the articulation like a vintage Star Wars figure. All right, right, right. So no elbow joints, Mm -hmm. no knee joints, no uh, ball hips. And, you know, for me, one of the big appeals of G.I. Joe was the super articulation. Like, that's what made it stand out as a kid. So the idea that I would be paying premium prices for a non-articulated version of a G.I. Joe, I scoffed at it. I see. I absolutely just scoffed. But... Everything else about these figures, other than the figures themselves, I really enjoy. I enjoy the packaging. Classic packaging, yeah. Yeah, uh, it, yeah. It's it's based on the original style, but it's a new picture in this case of Snake Eyes. And the direction they take the figures like that isn't based on any specific Snake Eyes. It's based on okay. like it's it's very much the version two look, but it's in a dark blue, kind of like what you would see on the animated series early on. And so it's like it is how I picture Snake Eyes in my head, even though no action figure of Snake Eyes has ever existed that looks like this. Fair enough. So Super 7 really gets G.I. Joe, and they make an action figure I don't care for, but the presentation and everything (laughs) is really cool. So this particular Snake Eyes I'm going to keep on package. And there's four or five other figures that I've got my eyes on. And I said, like, if they went half price, because in Canada they go for $22, uh, which is a lot for... A, a very simple action figure. And what's wild is that they're like 20 bucks in the States too. So hmm. we're not even getting the proper markup. Like uh, technically regular retail price is a steal for me. And yet right. it was already too much. But I said, all right, if they ever go half off, here's the list of the ones that I would buy. Cause for closer to $10, I think it's more reasonable. They went 30% off. Um. So I didn't get all of the figures that I wanted, but I got that snake eyes. Cause I figured if anyone's going to sell out, It's that Snake Eyes. And then I bought three of this figure, which is the Cobra Shock Trooper is what they call it. It's based on a Cobra astronaut design from the cartoon. Yeah, it looks very futuristic. Yeah, it it looks cool. And uh, I've got my diorama set up there. And this is good diorama fodder. Mm -hmm. So just having three guys in similar suits. So you probably can't tell. This guy's got green accents. Yeah. The other two have blue blue. accents. Okay. So it kind of implies a higher rank for the green one as the one of the three that stands out. So yeah, so they're going to be background characters. That's not a design that was ever an action figure. It was exclusive to the cartoon. It appealed to me and I had a purpose for it. Whereas 
all of the other ones that I like, it would be I need to dedicate a new section of shelf to this new line. Uh, that's just how I am as a collector. I need to <laughs> sure. have a reason to be buying something before I can justify buying it. Well, I mean, why not? I mean, yeah. sometimes you just want to buy something because you just want to like have something fun. Like well, for me, it would be like a video game or or a role playing game. It's like, oh, maybe I'll read this, maybe I won't play it, whatever. But then when you want to, when you sink a lot of money into something, when you want to sink fair amount of money into something like a Kickstarter giant board game, you you definitely mm. want to play it at least once. Like yeah, I kickstarted uh, this game called Sea of Legends. Uh, like before 2020, I think. And I got it like right after the first lockdown happened. And I was like, I don't know. It, physical, giant physical board game. I don't know when I'm going to play this again or ever, really. It, it's, you know, yeah. I did no end in sight. And I, I did eventually finally play it like earlier this year. Got it out on the table uh, with a couple people and 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 played it. And, uh, uh, you know, so, well, now that I've done that, it's going to, it's kind of back on the shelf and it's probably will sit there for a while <laughs> longer. But I've at least played it once. I've got some value out of it in that sense. Yeah, I got the. I, I went in on Fireball Island when uh, Restoration Games did it, and they did a bunch of expansions. Mm. I've played the base game a few times, but I've got four or five large box expansions yes. for this board game. I have not touched. I, I probably removed the shrink wrap. Probably. Yeah, I, I'd say with uh, Dinosaur Island, it's the one I got that had and it came with an expansion that's the exact same size as the regular one. I think I played the yeah. the regular one once and haven't really looked in the expansion, which is like more um, like uh, aqua aquatic animal, aquatic dinos, right? And I want to do it. I want to add them in there, but I went on the like, use of the base game first and and try it out a couple times. But those are both both those games that I just mentioned have great production quality. Cool, cool. Uh, Steve Legends has these pretty cool minis. All uh, the thing, the funny thing about Dinosaur Island, it comes with a, a slap bracelet uh, to indicate. Oh, really? Yeah, a mag little magnetic slap bracelet that sort of indicate first player. <laughs> it's the first player token. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's pretty fun. So you get um, to keep slapping it around the table. Slap around the table. Um, and uh, like the die they have all look like amber, like like they look like they're made out of amber. So it's very. I mean, it's very much a nod to Jurassic Park. The the the, the oh, yes. game, right? <laughs> uh, but it, it but just like Jurassic Park, but dripping in more 80s neon pastel colors right so pretty fun you know i think they're pretty cool games though uh i, I can't wait to try them uh, play them some more so i stumbled across the play test of dinosaur island i oh. was at breakout con in toronto it was the last day toronto was like a six-hour drive home for me so it was like early afternoon on the last day of this convention and i had no plans i was like oh, maybe i'll just go home early and then right next to me, someone was like, hey, anyone want to play test this game? So I was like, all right, I'm not going home early. Sat down, play tested a version of Dinosaur Island. And then, you know, it showed up on Kickstarter, ended mm -hmm. up being a pretty popular game. And I was like, oh, I got to see the whole journey. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was cool. Which, you know what? Ah, uh, no, I, I was like, oh, there's definitely a transition point transition. here. You know what's cool? Lost it. Transitioning. Yeah, transitions. No, those are pretty cool. Segways. <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, well, well, how, how we can kind of, I think, I think we can get a segue out of this because, uh, 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 of Legends and, and, and Dinosaur Island, uh, have these kind of very unique, uh, uh, settings in a lot of ways. I mean, both of them are, uh, you know, familiar settings, but they have yeah. style, uh, in them. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about all uh, the sort of, uh, uh, Styles, styles of the settings of uh, of, of, of the Essence 20 games and how you can take the, all this sort of um, the details of, of the these these licenses 
basically, and and adapt them uh, for your own home campaign. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit in the last episode, how when we were adapting the settings, we were using the action figures, which has very open-ended concepts. So it's it's big ideas that are only then fleshed out in other media. And so we borrowed from the different media to create like this unified general setting mm-hmm. of what these role-playing games are. But really, uh, when you get into a new role-playing game, if it was like a brand new original concept, there would be a lot more setting information in any of the core rule books. Whereas we wanted to give you a lot more freedom to play Transformers, G.I. Joe, however you envision it in your head. Mm-hmm. And so uh, even though these are, you are buying a core rule book with both the rules and the setting, there's room to expand on the setting to really make it your own. Yeah, the the, the core rule books uh, for, for G.I. Joe and Transformers, to give you like some information of what you, you know, maybe to dig into some places and some people and, and, and some robots and whatnot. But uh, really, you, you know, it, these games, I feel like they shine a lot better when you have some more specificity in mind. When you're sitting down to play with play them. So whether you are planning on doing just a really evocative one shot or whether you really want to flesh out a full campaign and make it different from the, the evergreen and expected setting of either of these games. And we're going to focus more on these two because once again, I didn't work on Power Rangers. My Little Pony's not out yet. Uh, so the two main games that we focus on in the upshift for the time being sure. uh, is our G.I. Joe and Transformers. Yes. Uh, I have now, uh, uh, like I said a while back, I've read through all of them, of course. Um, but, you know, <laughs> that was very quick. And so it's a bit of a blur. And I only sort of have this G.I. Joe Transformers knowledge from my own personal stuff and not necessarily a lot of Power Rangers knowledge. Although and so, uh, there might be a point later on where I sneak in a, a Power Rangers reference. So, yes, we'll see. <laughs> Well, let's just start with settings in role-playing games in general. Let's say you were sitting down to do a, just a, a modern role-playing game, uh, a modern military role-playing game mm-hmm. with no specific IP attached to it. What would you go? Uh, how would you go about fleshing out the setting for your campaign? Wait, well, uh, you know, with that particular constraint in mind, uh, I would think um, I would actually most likely be borrowing from other things that I have played or read or seen to just sort of give a feel like uh, uh, I have considered uh, in the past uh, running a campaign, uh, sort of a an, more of an espionage campaign, but sort of based off of the Just Cause video games, which sure. are sort of big open sandboxes, which in which you for the you know a uh, unnamed government american government in, in his uh, uh, organization sort of destabilize an area that has a dictator so that the people can rise up and be this place could be more free or whatever and then it would be fun to sort of sit down and be like plop an island or you know or uh, you know an island country in front of the uh, players and be like okay you know there's a bad dictator here uh and you hear some opportunities maybe for decent but but eventually it's a big open sandbox uh, so yeah, so I would I would start by sort of finding a, a touch point uh, 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 to sort of start from <laughs> to, to begin to base things around because uh, uh, just even even modern military campaign has a lot of ways you could go. All right. Well, uh, luckily, touch points is exactly what our two core rule books that we're talking about today have plenty of, mm-hmm. and so you know what you're drawing from, and so you've got to ask yourself some questions. The to, Figure out what specific details you even want to work out. Right. Yeah. So I've I've just gone with three very broad questions sure. of where, when, and why. Exactly. And you know, no offense to to who or to what, 
Uh, Don't forget how. Very good questions. Well, I'm talking about the WHs, not the HOW. Well, that's, I mean, it's one of the All journalistic right, how is questions. Too. How is there? It's 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 there. But uh, how is always role-playing game. <laughs> so we can answer yeah, that one right off the bat. How is role-playing game? That's how. So when I think of setting just as a word and as like a literary device, I do think it's more location-based mm-hmm. and everything else is kind of periphery to location. So that's where I want to start. Sure. Yeah. Uh, figure out where your campaign takes place. Right. Yeah. You want to start with that. All right. So I have to find where as uh, with the entire real world and fictional galaxies at your disposal, narrowing down a single location or choosing not to settle on a single location affects the tone themes and challenges your characters face. Yeah. I mean, do you want to, it's like, it becomes uh, where is is a, is, a, is a great question, but it you know it also like you said sort of defines a scope. Uh, uh, and when you're talking mm. about when you say where and you say a small uh, uh, sleepy New England town, that's very small. But if you were to say where and say the eastern seaboard of the United States is even bigger, or uh, uh, where might be for for uh, like a GI Joe campaign might actually be like four to five different look locations around the globe for instance if you want to be like oh this is a globe trotting jejo adventure but it's not completely open-ended we i have some ideas of where all the 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 bad hot you know the where where, where cobra's doing all their all their dirty business um uh, and you maybe highlight those but uh uh it does what you decide there is going to like you said uh, uh affect what kind of a game it is so uh since you did touch on some globe trotting mm-hmm. If people have been following Renegade on uh, the on social media and Facebook in particular seems to be where they prefer, there is a preview of some Cold Iron pages, Operation Cold Iron mm. being a uh, what is it called, an, an adventure, adventure series adventure that series. is coming out with four standalone adventures that link together, and the name and the cover certainly imply that there will be some kind of Arctic scenes. Yes, but if you look over the table of contents, specifically Part Three of Mission One, it's hope you like it hot, which implies. Right that this is not entirely going to be taking place in an Arctic environment. And one of the reasons for that is that one of the roles in the G.I. Joe role-playing game is the Ranger, which excels in a certain environment and can adapt to other environments. But if this takes place entirely in one type of environment, someone could just build a Ranger that specializes in that and just dominate the entire adventure. Yeah, that's true. That is true. (laughs) That's something you want to discuss with your players, you know, if if you're deciding to set your... Uh, you know, entire campaign in a very cold place. You want to be like, okay, this is what it's going to be. So everyone can sort of think about how to build someone if they want to, someone who's uh, optimized for that kind of an environment. Or someone who's why you hey why GI Joe is picking you to go to you know uh, uh, Antarctica is because well one of you is that Arctic Ranger, but then you, you know, the soldier is really good with the flame weapons, and that's going to be handy in, uh, with the ice or whatever you know that kind of stuff. So while we're talking about GI Joe. <laughs> In traditionally, G.I. Joe is set in a real world setting mm-hmm. with some real world analogs, but it generally doesn't get too fictional in how the world works. And uh, there are advantages and disadvantages to using real world settings uh, versus analogs. And uh, something that came up uh, this week as of this recording, so it'll be two weeks ago as of the time that the episode comes out, is that uh, the recently passed Queen Elizabeth II appears on an episode of one of the G.I. Joe animated series. Oh, boy. And so the day after she died, people were just sharing pictures of her corgi peeing on Major Blood. <laughs> Queen Elizabeth speaking first with Cobra Commander and then speaking with Duke and a variety of the Joes. Uh, I do not remember the episode because it's from the Deke series, which is the one I, I'm not as familiar with. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it existed until this week. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
So on the one hand, basic in real world does give you an entire roster of everyone on earth right now as potential NPCs. And you can even have fun with like stunt casting some of your NPCs by bringing in actual celebrities, actual real world rulers. This of course can lead to some awkwardness. There is a issue of the comic where the Joes are working with some like freedom fighters and they teach them how to shoot down a helicopter. And these freedom fighters are like a real world analog of some people that are no longer allies with the United States. Mm. And it's actually historically interesting to see this is what would show up in a kid's comic in the eighties and where (laughs) things went from there. But um, you know, things can turn awkward. Like the October guard are famous NBCs in Joe universe where they are the Russian equivalent of G.I. Joe. And that's a political situation that is constantly changing. And right now, not, yeah, not great people to have as (laughs) sort of allies to the Joes right now. Yeah, that's another, I guess, another great reason to sort of talk with your players beforehand you know, in a session zero to be like, uh, you know, if, if that's of interest to you and your players, I want to discuss this sort of like uh, evolving relationship between G.I. Joe and the October Guard, for instance. And maybe we want to say like, oh, well, like, well, I want to present them, you know, uh, the October Guard as, 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 as being sim- sympathetic to us as a U.S. audience, right? You know, as, as the players, if that's where you're, where you're from. Um, but uh, 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 so they want to, this is about them sort of maybe getting away from the, you know the actual tyranny of actual russia uh might be a fun sort of thing to do if everyone's cool with it you could even go a step further and create an analog for the fictional from a piece of the fiction you could create some non-october guard version of the october guard Mm. so that you could divorce them from russia play the similar you know uh, narrative niche Mm. of this other country this other superpowers equivalent of gi joe without having to get into messy real world politics. I mean, that is a lot of the reasons why you see things like Sokovia and uh, Wakanda sort of appear in comics and, and, and movies and other sort of settings where they uh, create these fictional nations. Um, uh, uh, for some reason, I've been I've been thinking a little bit about the Marx Brothers a lot lately, and that just made I wanted to say Fredonia. I was just I don't know I haven't seen Marx Brothers in a while. I used to watch a lot of Marx Brothers uh, uh, growing up as, as as a kid. I was like I haven't watched a Marx Brothers movie in a while. How can I do that? But uh, the movie Duck Soup is a movie about war, um, and there's a fake nation in it called Fredonia, and right, and so uh, uh, the these these fictional analogs do serve important narrative functions um it's not just because the author doesn't want to do research on real world poland Mm. or something like that it's just like uh so we can dance around actual actualities so that things can remain in a way timeless like like you know you don't have to worry about like um putting you know uh uh 40 years down the line when when you say going back to, to the marvel continuity for instance saying oh well, this this if sokovia was a real place and saying like well now it's doing a whole bunch of you know terrible stuff and maybe maybe we can't present people from sokovia as as sympathetic anymore and blah, 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 blah. but yeah. if, if it's a made-up place you can just go nuts although every author's goal should be to set it in a real world and live long enough and they're art remains relevant long enough that the political climate around the setting of your novel or the setting of your fiction has changed and people look at it differently. I mean, that's true. I mean, that happens. So yeah. Yeah. It's just kind of like good for you that we're still talking about your comic 40 years later. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. 
So I recently ran a one-shot for some people on the Renegade Discord, uh, a G.I. Joe one-shot, and I decided to set it in Quebec, in, in Montreal specifically, which is where I am from and where none of them are from. And so that was a lot of fun because I know it on a very granular level. I've lived here all of my life, so uh, I needed to put very little work into the world building. I just knew all right, I need like five different locations across the city. It's like, all right, well, this is like a 20 minute drive from there. So that means I can do these certain things with the, with the narrative. And it's like, all right, now I need a cool landmark. Oh, okay. We'll do the, the, the giant orange julep is right next to the hippodrome. So that's fun. That's flavorful. And Quebec in particular, they are work was completely foreign to all of the players. Mm-hmm. And so everything I described had the advantage of it being like, you're in a foreign land <laughs> with different rules and a different culture. And I knew that culture so well yeah, because I knew it personally. Mm-hmm. By contrast, in Order from Disorder, the actual play that Renegade produced that I was a player on, I decided to make my character from Colorado, somewhere I've never been and know <laughs> nothing about. And at one point, we were just exchanging backstories. And then once, you know, once I got past the point of being like, I'm from Colorado, and people are asking for more details, I'm just like, I got I, Colorado. <laughs> you know, the, the mountain part. Right. That's a, there's a mountain there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the tricky thing to uh, uh, like what you're talking about, like your players didn't know Quebec, but I assume their characters were also kind of coming there newish too. the tricky part is exactly, when you're yeah. kind of expecting, I know this place pretty well and expecting everyone to know. Cause then you've got to be like, well, does my character know where the, you know, the corner convenience stores are here yeah yeah you can't mm-hmm. that. so they have to be they say, and then they turn around the guests and turn to the other players yes i know where there's a convenience store it gets like you can make a yeah. cell phone but when you're presenting a place that's so familiar to you as the gm that doesn't have to be familiar to the characters oh boy mm-hmm. yeah that's a sweet spot yeah one more level of convenience is that the only canadian gi joe is backstop who's from montreal and so i got to play him as the liaison mm. he got to be basically me of being like <laughs> oh you guys don't know anything about this place Here's all the stuff you should know. It's great. And then they still get there and they're fish out of water. Yeah, it, yeah. it was a fun experience. Cool, cool, cool. And it, it made it so easy. <laughs> yeah, good. Uh, we talked a little about analogs. So the comics uh, have like five different countries that they go to mm-hmm. constantly because they are broad analog. So benzene is one of them and it is the Middle Eastern analog. Sierra Gordo is like a South American analog. Um, and so they have regular recurring missions there and the political climate changes because uh, Larry Hama, the writer of the original comic book had the freedom to just say, there's been a complete regime change in the political structure of this country that I made up. It's in this certain area. So I know what, uh, what uh, climate to expect and what landmarks to look for. But otherwise he had total control about what it was. It just, it felt like a place that could exist in the middle East or in South America or et cetera. Yeah. Great. Uh, did has anyone ever comment if is that benzene is also a chemical? Huh. Not, spe- I don't know about not that. spelled I know. that way, uh, but it is a, a lovely, um, I believe, a dissolvent. I've had it. I, so, I've gotten it on my fingers many a time in college. Benzene. Why? Because you, <laughs> when you're washing something, you get it on your hands. <laughs> it's just yeah. Okay. So it's a common chemical. It's, it's a pretty common like a chemical. Super... No, no, okay. it's pretty common. It's one of it's pretty it's it's you know, it's just carbon and hydrogen. It's just a hydrocarbon, so I can't remember what it happens. So I don't know about that, but I do know so there is a German analogue called uh Walkakukland. It's like Whoa. it is a German play on words of some kind. Mm. And so Larry deliberately 
chose that name for that area. So I don't know if he specifically chose benzene because it meant something or uh, he might have just heard it and liked the sound of it. Because, um, yeah, yeah. you know, the famous Arashikage tattoo that Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow both have on their uh, forearms and then just a whole chunk of the world was built around this tattoo of like a solid line, a broken line. Hmm. Uh, Larry Ham apparently just liked that symbol. He found <laughs> it in uh, like a, um, a philosophy book and it has like greater meaning and the meaning happens to line up with Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow's relationship. But Larry's admitted he just liked it. It's easy to draw. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I just was doing a little uh, uh, quick Googling here. Um, uh, a gordo means kind of uh, gordo means fat or, or or stout. So I wonder if that was the reason. So Sierra Sierra Gordo. When was Sierra meet again? Like mountain. I thought it was sun related. I wouldn't be surprised if it meant saint. Oh, no, no, mountain. Means, yeah, yeah, good job. I guess that just means uh, big, <laughs> the fat mountain. big plump mountain. Now, the final option I've got here is that since, you know, since he had a lot of success with the analogs and it saves mm -hmm. a lot of the trouble of using real world places while also having a lot of shortcuts for you, uh, just having a completely fictional world as a setting for G.I. Joe, it intrigues me. Like having it not set on Earth, not real American heroes. Is that too far from the original concept? Mm -hmm even though it does give you the full creative freedom to do whatever you want. Would you set it on an Earth-like planet, basically? Or would you say also... Yeah, it would like, definitely be Earth-like. You are humans, right? And it's yes. just like... For instance, let, you know, uh, uh, some other some other fantasy world or whatever, but modern... You'd have to name everything. Yeah. The tricky thing is you'd have to name <laughs> basically everything and you couldn't... Uh, 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 if you were doing a, a campaign, be writing... No, notes to yourself and saying like oh yeah the capital of this country uh, uh you know uh gramble town and you'd have to write that down so you remember it later Grimble town. i don't that's just some nonsense syllables that came out of my mouth but um yeah that's it's difficult to come like completely a completely fictional place yeah so that's that sounds like a step too far then because be. even as you were just trying to wrap your brain around it you were going like fantasy world and alien world with modern earth-like technology and it's like oh if I was the GM and I was like, I want to set this on a not Earth, that's a lot like Earth. Like immediately, my players would probably be like, "So you want it to be like some kind of sci-fi version of GI Joe?" Yeah. And it's like, no, no more sci-fi right. than GI Joe already is. It's not a spacefarer's GI Joe. I just didn't want to deal with real-world politics. And uh, yeah, no, it sounds like what works for analog does not work on that scope. Uh, yeah, it's real. It's really really hard you have to and and just when you're introducing any new setting to players you've got to give them the leeway of not not caring <laughs> about right. it right and not like i oh, know i kind of because i remember trying to run something where i was like oh well, this is just going to be a totally fictional setting but it was it was it was a short campaign anyway so it didn't really matter too much but then it was all like well this is my england you know uh, 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 you're coming from England. This is the England variant, uh, and you know, I was probably calling it Albion or something cliche like that. But like, and everyone just ended up calling it England. I was like, okay, it's England, whatever. <laughs> it, yeah. When and also, if you're basing it on modern Earth, which is what you would we want to do, but to like avoid, say, like you don't want to deal with colonialism. It's like, well, then how is that England just like our England? except for without the part of England that you want to take out. It's like, yeah. how did that even come to be? It's <laughs> like a, like in Stranger Things and the Upside Down, and they're talking about like, it's an exact replica, except now it's changing 
Well, then when was it an exact replica? Like yeah. not Stranger Things specifically, but anytime you see like the mirror world. Right. Like, what was the breaking, the split off point between the two worlds? Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. So since we've diverted into much more science fiction territory, let's talk about Transformers now. Because Transformers, there was even uh, issue, well, not an issue, but like a, a conversation point in the development of the core rulebook was, is this purely just set on Earth or do we need to make the core rulebook allow you to have Cybertronian adventures, acknowledge that there's a whole galaxy of uh, established planets within the, the Transformers setting? And so it was decided that, you know, the core rulebook will be 80s Earth style. It'll yeah. talk about previous politics on Cybertron. And then the jumping off point will be you have crash landed on Earth. The majority of, of Cybertronians are now in the Civil War that has uh, changed locations to Earth. But uh, right. it doesn't have to be. No, well, technically. There's a lot of uh, splitting off. The, I mean, there's a lot of references to the other stuff, you know, it's back at, you know, Cybertron's still there and still going and right and there's there's Junkion and other sort of uh, 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 Cybertronian sort of colony planets so like and that stuff is mentioned every once in a while peppered into other upcoming stuff I would say so it's known it's a known quantity for that and to to decide I mean if you want to I mean if you can take the the core rulebook and, and just kind of like yes I want this to be a entirely a Junkion based thing i mean you know it, it takes a little bit out of the fun of transforming to hide you know that's the sort right. of main part and the main thing you want to do with transformers but um could be a, it could be a fun jumping off point to be like okay now you're all junky on do you have a couple of ventures on there and then you go to earth and have to blend in there that you know something like that would be fun kind of in the introduction we were talking about is it a single location is it multiple locations yeah a series of Transformers campaigns can be completely different just based mm -hmm. on the planet you're you're set on. And that's kind of like if you just look at classic Transformers versus Beast Wars, which was a much more organic planet with no vehicles to to copy <laughs> yeah, yeah. for alt modes. And so they adapted into organic uh, animal-like alt modes. And then uh, a series called Transformers Animated was, it, it was the same concept of like they've crash landed on Earth, but it was so far ahead that they were just accepted on Earth. Oh. And so the disguise element was just kind of to outfox uh, Decepticons and oh, okay. you know Autobots and Decepticons to outfox each other. But otherwise, you know, they just were members of Earth. They were these uh, displaced citizens that now had taken Earth as their second home. Even if you just want to set it on a single planet, how you use that planet, uh, again, affects the tone of your campaign and what the adventures are like. Definitely. Definitely. I do really appreciate the... Um, Transformers actual play that Renegade has put on, uh, the name of which I've forgotten, so I'm just going to double check that. Yeah. It's going well. They've just posted their fifth episode, and they are really playing up the, um, the like hiding from humans aspect of the story. Like, the whole thing starts with them getting a little bit of cabin fever and just like wanted to go out there <laughs> and just race around and stuff. And then, you know, anyway, I don't want to spoil the actual play for people that. Uh, have not watched it yet, but intend to. But th they're going all in on the idea that uh, this is that world. That Oh, sorry. It's called The Past Awakens. There we go. Ah. Uh, and they're using it very well in the narrative there. And Great. Yeah. So just again, the setting is just the most basic version of the Transformers setting that uh, from right from the beginning, it's Autobots, Decepticons, the Cybertronians trapped on Earth, really going deep into the theme and playing it up. 
Great. From where we go to when, and I want to continue with Transformers because every now and then Transformers comics has done an alternate history where it's what if the Transformers arrived or awakened at a different point in Earth. Sure. So Hearts of Steel, uh, John Henry accidentally awakens the mm-hmm. Autobots during the Age of Steam. Nice. And so only a couple of them wake up. Like the idea is that by the end of the story, they the ones that were in hibernation or uh, whatever the the Autobot term for when they went in that uh, million or thousand year sleep, uh, they return to it. So it's like, this could be set in normal continuity or it could just be a fun right, yeah, sidetrack. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So Bumblebee uh, awakens and he takes on a steam train alt mode. Just the redesigns, just flipping through the pages. You don't even have to read the story. Just you could delight in how familiar characters have been redesigned based on the technologists available to them of the era. And likewise, one of the G.I. Joe Transformers crossovers was set during World War II. And so on top of the um, much more gritty art style, seeing them turn into uh, military vehicles Mm -hmm. was really interesting. And so they used the aerial bots a lot in there to show World War II uh, planes. Yeah, Yeah, jets, exactly. Oh, yeah, great. Yeah, so if you like the theme of Transformers Trapped on Earth, but you just want to put your own spin on it, pick any other point in history and suddenly you've completely redesigned what your characters look like and how the world works. Sure, yeah. I mean, even like you said, uh, for, for Beast Wars and, you know, obviously the, the Dinobots, like, doesn't have to be vehicles. So if you want to pick a time where your big, your, 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 your most prevalent vehicle is the old horse and buggy, you know, you can yeah. have someone do that and it would be kind of like cool mechanical horse and buggy sort of situation. But you can also have some local fauna. Uh, what's also interesting about Transformers is that even in just the original series, the timeline has three distinct points. One is Cybertron a thousand years ago, then there's Earth in the 80s, and then they jump ahead to the year, the, the distant future of 2005. Yeah. And so even just when you're settling on where in the original timeline your story takes place, those are three points that you can uh, choose. And in 2005, it was more the idea that They'd been around for a while. So kind of what we were talking about with Transformers Animated. Mm-hmm. And so they were using more Cybertronian vehicles as their alt modes instead of trying to really blend in. Yeah. Not only does it change what cast you would use as your supporting characters, but also the tone of the world and how it reacts to the Transformers and their True. place yeah. on Earth. Yeah. And even between the 80s and, and now, like, you know, technologies have, have taken some leaps and bounds. So you can have some more smaller... Transformers turning into, you know, Nintendo Switches and that kind of thing. Oh, so there's a new Transformers animated series that's oh. coming to Nickelodeon, and one of them transforms into a drone. Oh, and I was yeah. like, that's so smart, because you you could just have a drone anywhere. Like, they could blend in People, just being an automated robot. Yeah, there were, no one would bat an eye seeing a flying robot. So then you just duck behind the trees, and now you're a robot, and you got away with it. <laughs> So you were talking about changes in technology. So I do want to talk about how the timeline affects Mm -hmm. G.I. Joe. Uh, Specifically, if you want to set G.I. Joe in the modern day, which is kind of assumed in the core rulebook. The problem with that is that the military fantasy of the soldiers going out there and really engaging with the enemy face-to-face, not really where military is right now. Like It's a lot more drones and airstrikes and technologically based. You know, a a ninja would really have a hard time fitting (laughs) into the modern military. (laughs) Yeah, you'd think. Modern day kind of actually has some challenges to it in that uh, you have to kind of hand wave actual evolution of military tactics in order to play up the, the the fantasy of how these heroes are supposed to interact with the world and engage with the enemy. Yeah, but that being that being said, you know, like 
our James Bond movies are still set in the modern day. And that is obviously way different, but like, you know, you could think that probably a lot of espionage today, actual espionage is hacking and, and, and True. less the sort of classic spy craft of going in and meeting with people and, and, you know, switching briefcases and stuff like that. So, you know, you could have say, well, GI Joe is the branch of the military that actually goes places and does things. It doesn't have to rely on the, uh, doesn't, doesn't rely heavily on the drones and, and airstrike technology. They've got to go because, there's Cobra doing things that are different than modern, you know, bad guys would be doing. That's why you got to have the GI Joe. So yeah, yeah, it requires it requires that that explanation. But I don't think it needs to necessarily bend. You need to bend over backwards to necessarily fit GI Joe into the modern day. One just on the topic of James Bond. One of the ways that James Bond movies shifted is that they used to be a lot about the gear and the technology oh, yeah. and just how futuristic the things James Bond does. But then Daniel Craig, when he took over, I want to say about fifteen years ago, suddenly they were like, "Yeah, let's just forget about the technology. It's just about the spy stuff." Because the stuff that you could conceive of for a movie like James Bond, you either had to get absolutely ridiculous to be ahead of what the actual technological mm-hmm. curve is or you got to accept that within a couple of years the cool stuff that was introduced would be out of date right, yeah. or or you do what they did and just said like all right technology is no longer part of the fantasy james bond is just a cool spy yeah another setting for gi joe time-wise is the 80s which was when the original real american hero line came out um it did continue into the 90s I just have a problem with both of those as options because I feel like they become punchlines hmm. where people would be making their their pop culture references, working it into the story. And also, we have become so accustomed to things like the internet and smartphones yeah. that uh, going back to a time before it would either be jarring and we would have to constantly remind ourselves that that technology is no longer available or it would seem quaint. <laughs> Quint is nice sometimes. Yeah, no, it, it, again, uh, this is a this is another thing where you, if you have a group that's totally wants to do that, I want to ladies, and we'll, we all know to forget about cell phones and, and 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 the internet and whatnot, and steep yourself in that sort of eightiesness of it all. If you're in it to have fun, you can also make the references. But if you're in it for you know want to do something a little more like the cartoon itself, I mean, I say go for it. But uh, it doesn't sound like it'd be your cup of tea, Ryan. I'm I'm just worried. I'm worried about the direction that the 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 jokes and references would go in. Yeah, I mean, but <laughs> jokes and references are about seventy five percent about of why I do role playing <laughs> games. To be perfectly honest, fair enough. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna throw a term at you. I don't know. Okay. Are you familiar with cassette futurism? No. So Tell that is more. what the '80s thought the future would look like. Mm-hmm. So the giant floor-to-ceiling computer banks, the everything is steel, everything, uh, you know, is some kind of doohickey you could plug a cassette into. That's cassette futurism. That's the aesthetic. And so that is also uh, an area you can play in, in that you are playing with futuristic technology, or at least what we used to think futuristic technology would look mm-hmm. like. Yeah. And so the the uh, the 80s G.I. Joe aesthetic, especially on the cartoon more than the comic, uh, was definitely in that cassette futurism realm. It makes me think of the of retro futurism. Um, yeah. Which, though, I think when people say it, they think about what the fifties thought the future would look like. Yeah. So <laughs> it's technically the same because uh, 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 even though my 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 bones uh, turned to dust when I would say this, obviously the eighties and nineties are 
in the past and retro as bad as retro (laughs) as you can get uh uh, from you know it's no different than you know the 50s really at this point see that's the problem with when you call a point in time the past Mm -hmm. like a word like retro means the past and it's well, now the past is really old, so it's like the retro retro. retro is it yeah, post real retro? This would be post retro yeah. futurism. Would probably be go. another thing that they would call cassette futurism. But what you do next after post X whatever, when time keeps moving forward, then you gotta have like you just get over post, yourself. Yeah, then someone renames yeah. it something else, and then yeah, it becomes a different term entirely. And and by then you're dead. So who cares? <laughs> I I heard someone discussing bronze, silver, and modern age of comics Mm. and how modern age is about 40 years Mm -hmm. and each of the other ones is about uh, 10 to 20 years. Or I might have my dates wrong, but like modern, we just stopped counting uh, in the 90s or so. And so modern is this giant swath of history of comics that completely eclipses the previous two eras because we just didn't bother with a a (laughs) updatable naming scheme for how we keep track of them. So true. So if modern day or the 80s doesn't really uh, fit your fancy, really, for G.I. Joe, like the concept works at any time. You can just pick a decade that is like, this is a good compromise of technology if you're mm-hmm. worried that too modern is too modern, too retro is too old fashioned. Uh, you could say like, oh, this is about 2010. This is, drones are emerging as a technology, but I'm not completely dominated the landscape maybe i'm actually wrong i'm not a military or historian sure so maybe 2005 okay that's that sounds good to me <laughs> or of course you could just be vague about it and say like right. no we're not quite at airstrikes and drone technology taking over modern warfare but we're close yeah it's the year 2000 <laughs> also benefits from the idea of alternate history uh, and not just alternate real world history which is usually a lot of the time alternate history is just like if X side of Y war had actually won, what would the world from then on be like? And that really applies to G.I. Joe. Uh, But there's a specific two-parter from the original animated series called Worlds Without Ends, where the X is Cobra and the Y is the battle with G.I. Joe. So Cobra has won. They've taken over the world. And then some of the Joes from, uh, you know, our timeline accidentally got shunted over to this Cobra universe. Okay. But beyond that, like, it's a two-part episode, so they spent a little more time fleshing out the world where the Dreadnoughts are the police, so it's really like this corrupt authoritarian regime. But then there was also the idea that because there was no one left to fight, Cobra Commander and Destro just got bored and started fighting each other. Well, that happens. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And Baroness had formed a rebellion, but she was still front-facing. She was loyal to Cobra, but she had uh, she was gathering up uh, forces to fight against Cobra, and her exact... Motives weren't clear, but we do know that she was dating Steeler, who was a G.I. Joe. She was dealing dating the Steeler of that universe. Mm-hmm. Then she met the Steeler of our universe. And um, the Steeler of our universe, earlier in the episode, had come across his own dead body. And so he decided to stay in this alternate universe when the other Joes went back. Oh, it's go. a very good two-part episode. And it actually, just in the, you know, the 45 minute or so that it takes, you've got enough setting material to base an entire campaign around it. And it's also, it's fun. It's fun being the underdog, being the mm-hmm. rebels, which is not usually the role that G.I. Joe is cast in. G.I. Joe is either fighting for status quo, which is, you know, has some issues to it. Yeah. Or you can yeah. just say that, you know, they are specifically fighting against the evil, terrible world that Cobra is trying to create. 
And so it's not necessarily status quo. They're trying to do good. They're trying to be peacekeepers. And they're specifically against Cobra. Um, so if you're in a world where Cobra is the ultimate bad guy and the ultimate rulers, yeah. then uh, you get the best of both worlds. You yeah, get to be yeah. rebels and peacekeepers. That's definitely the the kind of the mirror universe Star Trek sort of idea there too, right? Like there was like one episode of that in the original series. And then Deep Space Nine went back to it over and over again. Uh, like what's a season, right? At one point? Uh, it wasn't a whole season, no, I don't think. But, no, oh, no, no but once, like once a season, yeah, something like that, and it would be like, oh, and you get all you'd get all the familiar characters, flip sides and whatever, and uh, they'd be coming here, and a different person would be going in there. Yeah, so, but yeah, yeah, just sort of like then saying, well, what if we? I'm sure there's probably like a you know Star Trek Adventure source book out there that's just about the mirror universe. Um, anyway, so like if you want to set a whole game there, and same with this, it's kind of cool Cobra mirror universe. That's pretty neat. Yeah, and you wouldn't need to do things like mission assignment and requisition, like the more formal stuff, the subsystems oh, yeah. that we've created for the game. It can be more of a Dungeons & Dragons style, just go out on your adventures and find the conflicts. You're trying to survive. There's threats at every around every corner. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, this is where I want to uh, also kind of bring up uh, uh, one Power Rangers thing that I do kind of know a little Ooh. bit about. Not a ton about, but like the fact that in the original series... There is uh, uh who is it? Uh, Kimberly gets sent back to the 1880s. Uh, uh, okay. And there are Wild West Rangers, Power Rangers. Cool. Um, and basically, well, she like gives them power, gives some people some power coins, and turns them into that. And so there's a some stuff there. And like when I kind of like remembered that uh, when I was looking at reading out the Power Ranger stuff, that is where I kind of had a whole. I want to set a, a, a just create a whole setting that sort of branches off from there, where there are more. And this will probably be more steampunky Zords fighting Ooh. giant, you know, Wild Westy kind of themed baddies, right? Right. I think that would be uh, pretty a pretty fun campaign, and maybe even just sort of my my, my thought was because I didn't know much about Power Rangers, it would be like I would maybe use the Power Ranger rules, but you know, take all the Power Ranger serial numbers off of it. But but it won't want you know this is something you could do with the actual Power Ranger stuff, and it'd be like oh yeah, let's play Rocco was I think one of the one of the the, the wild west rangers and and just do that and go go forward from when kimberly obviously goes back to the present at the end of the two-parter but why not continue that story learn more about it and you you kind of have a little bit of the the history the actual power rangers setting going on but then i don't think they went back there much often and so you can kind of build from there you know on your own terms and, and you won't necessarily get the uh, people who are, are very familiar with power rangers saying well actually this never happened and what about the like no this is a game right. come on yeah <laughs> so yeah that's as someone who doesn't know power rangers part of the appeal of this concept is that i don't have to know power rangers to get into this i just need mm -hmm. to yeah. have a vague idea of what the wild west was like yeah and i doubt you're gonna go with historical accuracy you're no. probably gonna go very hollywood yeah so yeah like uh, as someone who the lore is not only not a selling point, but it kind of intimidates me hmm. having a, a very lore light, either first campaign or even if that's the only campaign I play that, uh, that actually appeals to me in ways that I was not expecting. And <laughs> just kind of reviewing this entire conversation, that could kind of be one of the motivations for when you are picking the setting for your campaign. Are you like, are you super familiar with GI Joe transformers, whichever game you're playing are your players or are you vaguely familiar with it and you're just worried about things bumping into each other and so you just okay. want to find a way to avoid that, you know, maybe for now or maybe even just 
for okay. however long you want to play. Yeah, that's it. Ooh. Now, I said that we were going to talk about the why, but I, I think we've covered sure. the kind of questions and the kind of things you go into when yeah, you're setting up fair. your setting and why you would do that. Because, yeah, it wasn't... It wasn't the why you would do that. It was the why did things in your setting happen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean... That's if you want to make your... Add a lot of depth to your campaign. But yeah. for the most part, we've covered the, the the important stuff when it comes to settings. The real the real meat of the settings, honestly, in a lot of ways, is just... Yeah, when you, when you discuss about where and when, you kind of like eventually... You kind of naturally talk about why, because they're all kind of linked. All right, then before we go, I've got a whole list of shoutouts. This just got mm-hmm. longer and longer. Oh boy, okay. Uh, I I like to have three shoutouts, but I've this has grown to a list of five. But one of them that I definitely want to shout out to is a website called uh, Half the Battle. It didn't used to be called this. This was a GI Joe resource. It's very actually. I'll send you the link because you need to check this mm-hmm. site out. It is very bare bones, but it is very rich with detail. Actually, I sent you a specific. Page on this site yeah. oh, called boy. Characters by Screen Time. Oh boy, yeah. And so, what they've done here, and I've quoted this uh, in conversations in the past, is that they have blocked out how much screen time different characters on different Jojo animated series have received, and they've color coordinated it. So, mm-hmm. if you look at this list, it's from most screen time to least. Cobra Commander absolutely dominates, which makes sense. He's the main bad guy. <laughs> As it goes down the list, you can see which series they had more uh, influence on. So, uh, for a long time, Lady J was the character that had the most screen time of all the Joes, oh, uh, even though most people would expect it to be Duke. So Duke has actually overtaken her because there's been some whole series that don't even have Lady J, uh, even though she was one of the most prominent characters from the original series. But yeah, so Duke only has about 300 more minutes out of the 10,382 that he has uh, versus the 10,036 that Lady J has. Anyway, I find this website fascinating and uh I lost it at one point. Like I loved it. I I'd reference it. And oh. then I just could not find it ever again. I don't think it was called half the battle. Cause I feel like I would have remembered that. I think it just had some strange name tied into the uh, owner of the site and I lost it for years. I just came across it last week. And so uh, I have now bookmarked it. This mm-hmm. is now once again, one of my favorite resources. Again, it doesn't have the bells and whistles of Yojo or 3djoes.com. But it doesn't need it. Just what it does have is details, and I love it. Yeah, I love the details. Wow, yeah. Featured characters of every episode and how many lines they have. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So one of the reasons that I, I think I never remember the name is because I just called this, like, the obsessive guide to G.I. Joe, <laughs> which is also why I absolutely loved it. That's so good. So yeah, if I when you hear me quoting G.I. Joe trivia, a lot of the time it's because of the work that this website put in. Okay. All right, my next shout out is Snyder's Return, which is a podcast that I will be appearing on. Actually, by the time this episode comes out, my appearance on that podcast may have come out. But it is an RPG industry interview podcast. And uh, Adam, who uh, runs the site, conducts a, a really good interview. He does his research. He keeps the topic, you know, on topic. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I... I have been known to drift from the topic from time to time. <laughs> Go on tangents. He catches it. You like I can even feel him shunting me back into place. But it's appreciated because you know I'm there for a purpose. So we had a really good one hour long conversation a couple of weeks ago. So almost a month ago by the time this airs, he had uh, Brian C P Steele on. Yeah. Uh, also one of the other designers for the Essence Twenty system, main author on Power Rangers Core Rulebook. 
And so that interview was actually really breaking down Essence 20 as a game. Doesn't go into uh, Brian's history too much, but that meant that by the time I came on, he didn't need to do an Essence 20 breakdown. And so he goes really in-depth into uh, how I got into gaming and my uh, my love of G.I. Joe. I feel like those two episodes will play very well as like companion pieces. So mm-hmm. you can check out Brian's interview, which is definitely up now. You can check out my interview, which is probably up now. <laughs> okay. Uh, my next shout out, Operation Cold Iron Sneak Previews. I already brought this into the conversation. There are mm-hmm. sneak previews up. So if you're curious about the content of Operation Cold Iron, We've got some art up there. We've got some full stat blocks. So if you just need a polar bear or the Cobra Mantis <laughs> sub, the full stat blocks are available for All you. Right. So you can use them at any time. Uh, next up, Luis Loza. So Luis is a longtime member of the No Direction Network. Once again, if you are only here for the Essence 20 content, Upshift is a member of the No Direction Network. No Direction is a podcast and blog network that is mostly focused on Pathfinder content and also things that are of interest to Pathfinder players which I hope Essence 20 is. It's more the idea that maybe they like me because I was on these podcasts for a long time. And so because I'm interested in this, they'll also be interested in this. I got to be honest, I'm mostly just forcing Essence 20 onto a Pathfinder podcast network. It's your network. It is what it is. Yeah, I I cannot deny. Well, anyway, so Luis Loza is one of the co-hosts that took over for me on the flagship, the No Direction podcast. And he is leaving that podcast and he's leaving the network. He just, he is a very busy guy mm-hmm. who has a lot of responsibilities at Paizo uh, because he is a, a developer on Pathfinder on their Lost Omens line, which yeah. is just absolute banger line. I, 100%. I have never agree. cared for campaign setting books, but I love the Lost Omens line. It has totally won me over. Luis Loza and Eleanor Farron are seriously knocking out of the park. When they started putting stuff out, I got, I, I got legit jealous about stuff I'm like why can't i want to make the same books that they're not the same books that they're making but i want to make right. books that are as awesome as the books that they are making i would always sometimes uh, chat with them i'm like what are your secrets <laughs> they never told me their secrets uh yeah i gotta say oh. yeah Luis Lose is a great guy in in general too i game with him uh, uh pretty regularly he's fun to, to game with i had uh, uh he and it, he's just a an absolute sweetheart so um hopefully yeah. he'll have some time to chill out a little bit now he's not maybe not doing as much um uh, but uh, uh uh you know we wish him well for sure and i'm sure you'll have him on you know no direction i'll have him on every once in a while because he's got to talk about his awesome books. exactly <laughs> yeah he'll go from a co-host to a guest on the show pretty yeah. regularly uh but that brings us to the uh status of the network so our flagship has lost Luis as a co-host. Uh, and as I said, he was a replacement of mine, which was mm-hmm. less than a year ago. He replaced me as a co-host. My old co-host, Param, yeah. as I mentioned a couple of episodes ago, also left the network and left the No Direction podcast. So the No Direction podcast is in flux, which is very unusual for both the podcast and the network. We, like We had the same two hosts for 10 years, 10 plus years. The network has had the same 25-ish staff. Like it's just grown and never really lost members Mm. but in the last couple of years that's just things have changed the world has changed we're all a decade older than we were when we started this (laughs) my family has an expression the first person that leaves the party starts the mass exodus mass exodus is basically once one person says it's time to go everyone's like yeah you're right and then the party just ends the no direction network is not just ending oh good the party is not over but i think that me leaving the main podcast and param leaving the network just gave people some time to evaluate how much work they've put into No Direction, what they've gotten out of it, and where they are now, which uh, is just to say that the point of the No Direction Network is to elevate these people, give them more opportunities, 
And hopefully when they leave the network, they are better off than when they joined it. Um, but because so much has happened so fast, the website is going to go on a semi-hiatus. Uh, the flagship will not be producing new episodes, but anyone that is producing content for the network is given the option to either continue to post it because they want to keep momentum. So Upshift will continue to post new episodes. We just got back. We don't want to <laughs> go on a hiatus already. So yeah, expect new episodes of Upshift. They'll be showing up in the feed as they regularly will. Uh, at some point, I expect a redesign of the website in this month or so hiatus that we're going to take. But basically from now until, I'll even say now until the end of the year, content will be a little spottier than it has been. It usually was a blog and a podcast release every weekday of the week. It won't be as regular, but as far as it matters to people that are fans of Upshifts, we're not going anywhere. We're going to keep the exact same release schedule as we've been doing for the last three weeks. Yeah. So hopefully, <laughs> I, don't, I got nothing to say. I'm, I'm here for the ride. I'm here. I know. The shout out section just becomes the info dump section yeah, for me. Fine. That's fine. People got to know. People got to know. All right. Well, thank you, Jason, for another episode of Upshift. Thank you to our patrons. The patrons of the No Direction Network help. Uh, they allow content like this to be possible because we use up a lot of bandwidth and uh, that starts getting expensive and we want to make sure that all of our podcasters have the most up-to-date equipment so everyone sounds good and so um if you are at all interested in supporting the network to make sure that we can continue to give you all of the content that we give uh you can go to patreon.com slash no direction you can check it out we do have some regular exclusive content like after shows uh, jason maybe you and i can do an after show even if we're not a live show we can sure. do regularly scheduled or like announced ahead of time, uh, times that we were going to patron chat and just have some regular oh, yeah. conversations with the people. I love it. So uh, yeah, that's something we'll put a pin on that. Consider it pinned. All right. So thank you for our patrons and listeners. Uh, thank you to Word Burglar for letting us use Letters from Snake Eyes version four as the Upshift theme song. You can find out more about Word Burglar and his many amazing uh, 1980s and 90s inspired raps at wordburglar.com. I'm happy that he got that domain. He's been doing this for a long time, uh, yeah, so must there have was gone no competition for Word Burglar <laughs> whenever he started. Oh, that's a good Man, name. When did he start? Maybe I, I, I'll see if I can interview Word Burglar. Oh, yeah. He's a good guy. Let's do that. Huh. All right. But until next time, I'm Ryan Costello. And I'm Jason Keeley. And this has been Upshifts. Congratulations on another successful skill test. Oh, is that the outro? I'm trying it. How do you uh, like it? <laughs> Uh, how about like uh, it's clunky isn't it well uh, something it maybe needs a little it needs a little punching up we'll workshop our theme song is Letter from Snake Eyes number 4 by Word Burglar find it and other amazing tracks go to wordburglar.com this has been a No Direction Network production to find more great gaming podcasts visit nodirectionpodcast.com